All right, well, our uh, scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Joshua. I'm going to read from chapter 5. We'll have it on the screen. If you'd like to turn there, you can as well. Uh, I'd like to remind you that we do have resources for kids that are available on our website that you can print out. There are some drawings uh, that they can do and, and, and hopefully as a way to help them participate. Uh, but without further ado, would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraaloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all of the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey, so it was their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer any manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face and worshiped and said to him, what does the Lord, my Lord, say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words and we've sung these songs uh, we've listened from homes uh, spread around this region and, and perhaps other places as well. And Lord, I recognize that as we come here, as we place ourselves under these scriptures this morning, I recognize that we do come from all kinds of different places. 
Some of us come here and we are uh, coming off of a season of success. Uh, We've been successful at meeting goals. Uh, We've seen uh, provision for our needs. Our bodies are well. Our our families uh, are together. And Lord, I recognize though that others of us come here and uh, these things are not true for us. Things are not well, uh, perhaps in our lives, um, in our relationships, in our families. Um, Some of us are unemployed. Others are sick. Lord, some of us are here and we're carefree and others of us are here and we're very fearful. We find ourselves anxious and worried a lot. And Lord, I recognize further that some of us come here and we have placed ourselves under these scriptures because we believe that they are the very words of life. Others of us uh, are tuning in and we're not sure what we think about these words. We're not sure uh, if they're true, uh, if these events happened. We're not sure if you're real. And if you are, we're not quite sure if you're good. And Lord, I pray, therefore, uh, that whatever place we find ourselves in this morning, whether we are here in joy or in sorrow, whether we are here carefree or weighed down by all kinds of worry, whether we are here believing in you uh, or doubting you, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same. We have an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And so I pray that you would give us grace to see how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome again. I want to wish uh, all of you fathers out there a happy Father's Day. Uh, And that includes uh, first-time dads whose uh, children are still in the womb at this time. I had the great privilege of wishing uh, Rom happy Father's Day of the first person to wish him that. So I I was pretty excited by that. And uh, as I left for church in the morning, Chrissy said to me, she said, are you going to preach on being a father? And I said, yes, because this passage is all about circumcision. And this is one of the important decisions that you must make as a father. You know, this year, some people have been saying, is the year of the girl. Because at Ironworks, we are seeing lots of babies born, and and they're all girls. But, uh, you know, I just want to assure you that the men, some of the men have had a very... uh, lengthy and detailed discussion about the theology of circumcision as some guys have been, you know, kind of waiting to be surprised by whether God was giving them a girl or a boy. We've been debating this on our texting thread. And so if you want any information or recommendations about that, you can ask pretty much any uh, of the guys on the South side and they can give you the scoop on that. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, our passage today, uh, I do think, is, is helpful to me as a father. Uh, hopeful, hope that it will be helpful to all of you, wherever your place in life is, uh, whatever season you're in. Our sermon series uh, that we're calling it Finding Courage in Times of Crisis, and I, I kind of renamed it a few weeks back uh, due to current events where I said maybe we should call it Finding Courage in Times of Crises. Because uh, some of us are finding ourselves not just in one crisis, but actually they're becoming piled on top of each other uh, as events change, as the world continues to uh, evolve. And uh, as a father, I find that there's that this character quality is one of the more valuable character qualities that you can have, right? And that's because courage is essential to leadership. 
If you're going to lead people, by definition, you're going to have to take steps that involve a degree of uncertainty, right, where, where the outcome is not certain. You're going to have to tell other people and put your reputation, your livelihood, your safety and security on the line, and the, that of your families. And, and to do that, right, if you're going to do that, it's going to be because you have been given a measure of courage. And if you don't have courage, quite frankly, you cannot lead, right? You can follow, but you cannot lead other people. And uh, to put it blunt, you cannot be a successful father without courage. And so I do feel like this passage is, uh, in this series, is helpful, particularly in light of the holiday that we are observing today. The main idea from this, from this book, and, and the idea that I'm presenting to you today, in short, is this. That the kind of courage that, that is elaborated on in this passage is the product of walking with God. All right, to boil it down in the simplest possible terms, the kind of courage that we see on the pages of Joshua that we see enabling this man to face enemies that are an order of magnitude more equipped than they are, more armed, more strength, more experienced militarily, the kind of courage that would enable him to lead this people of Israel who did not have that same experience into battle against all kinds of terrifying enemies, the kind of courage that would enable him to do that is the product of walking with God, right? And I just want to tell you, again, wherever you are, right, man, woman, child, whatever your place in life is, whatever your season in life is, if you are going to be a person of courage, right, and not, not just fathers need courage, right? Everyone needs courage. Everyone's calling is going to require this at one point or another. If you're going to, to have that, if you're going to have the kind of courage elaborated on in this passage the way that it comes is through walking with God. And there's three, there's three headings that are brought out in this passage that I want to look at uh, to, to put some meat on, on these bones, right? What do you mean by walking with God? Well, there's three words that come out that I'm going to separate things out into uh, as a part of our work here today, right? To, to walk with God and to understand who he is and what he's doing and then to receive resources of courage through which you might move forward in whatever your calling in life is, you need to understand seasons, covenant, and presence. Seasons, covenant, and presence. So let's break up this passage under those three headings. The first is seasons. This passage uh, records the end of a very long season for the vast majority of these people. And I say that because the vast majority of these people were actually born in the wilderness. These were not folks who came out of Egypt, but they were the children, by and large, there are a couple exceptions. These are the children of those who came out of Egypt, right? They're born in the wilderness. They don't know what it's like to live in a house. They're always mobile, always nomadic, on, on the way. They think that's the way life is. And as such, they're born into a community who largely eat the same meal all the time. It's called manna, right? Uh, it means, what is this? It's, it's this uh, food that's really not comparable to very much. Uh, and if you know the story, you know that uh, God 
caused Israel to be in a place of need, right, where they were in a desert, there was not a great food supply, and then he met that need in supernatural means as this kind of food would fall from the sky, uh, manna from heaven as it's called, and Israel would largely be uh, filled by this for the 40 years that they wander in the wilderness. And this passage records the end of that season. So they come, they cross the river, they celebrate the Passover, and after the Passover is celebrated, the manna ceases. It is the end to that season, and they, uh, for the first time, eat of the fruit of the promised land. And what I want to tell you this morning is that if you're walking with God... Right? If you have a relationship with God and you walk with him, you need to understand that walking with God will involve different seasons. Right? I can't tell you how helpful this is to me. I can't tell you how helpful I've seen this be to others. Right? That if you're walking with God, you have to understand that a life with God involves different seasons. And they do come to an end. And new seasons are born. Right? And uh, we see in this passage that these folks largely survived out of a supernatural means. This was not the most exquisite meal known to humankind, right? It was what's called in Deuteronomy chapter 8, a discipline. Or the Greek word by which uh, we translate this is the word paideia, by which we derive the word pediatrics. This was part of how God was raising children, Right? In other words, this is how he was preparing this community of people to enjoy the best food that the world had to offer, right? That's where he was taking them. He's leading them into the promised land. He's leading them into a land with profound abundance that was unparalleled at the time. But in order to prepare them for that, he trains them, he disciplines them, through causing them to be in need and then through meeting their needs with this stuff called manna, right? And, and as we understand from the Old Testament scriptures, right, this, this would have been a long and boring and difficult season, but it was for their good and it did come to an end. And friends, I want to tell you this morning that as we consider this passage and we consider the timeline and the product of what God was doing in Israel, we need to understand that the way that God works, the way that uh, it works to follow him, and I see this in my own life, I see this in many of your lives, we see this all throughout scripture, is that God works in and through us through different seasons, Right? And I want to tell you, just speak to you, those of you who are in a season of hardship, right? if you're in a season uh, that's ca- that you would characterize as unpleasant, as difficult, I want to tell you two things. Number one, God is working for your good. You can be absolutely assured of that. Romans chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8 right? It's made absolutely explicit. I did these things. I caused you to be in need in order to do you good in the end. You can go read that. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can be short of two things. Number one, God is working for your good. Number two, the season will come to an end. 
It will come to an end. There, there are seasons in our lives, and they do come to an end. To be sure, sometimes they don't come to an end until uh, the age to come. I'm not pretending otherwise. But by and large, seasons do come to an end. And that is how God works in a person's life. And if you don't understand that, if you don't understand how seasons work, right, number one, you may not be prepared for one, for a season of difficulty if it comes, right? You might be so overcome because you thought, oh, I've been in a good season and this is how the rest of my life is supposed to be. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, you lose a job or you get a call from a doctor with bad news or a relationship that you just, you know, banked everything on just blows up into pieces, and if you're sitting here saying like, why well, I thought that life just basically went the same, you're going to be undone by that. Or if you're in a season of hardship right now, if you're in a season characterized by suffering and difficulty and anxiety and worry, if you're in a season of grief, if you're in a season of sickness and all these kinds of things, you might be sitting here thinking, you know, I have no hope. I just, I want to give up on life and, and everything. But I, I want to tell you that seasons, number one, are always for your good. And then secondly, they do come to an end. They do come to an end. And we're recorded uh, this end here in our passage uh, as for the first time uh, this community of people does eat from the promised land. The second thing we have to understand is this idea of covenant, right? This idea of covenant. If you're going to walk with God, and this will support the first point, if you're going to walk with Him, particularly through seasons of difficulty, Right? Or particularly through seasons where you are called to do things that are far beyond your abilities, far beyond what you're able to do in your own strength and your own power, as was the case with Joshua. If you're going to do these things, you need to understand how covenant works. Now, some of you don't even know that word. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is kind of like a contract, right? It's an agreement of sorts. And uh, in the scriptures, covenant is a little bit different, though, from the kind of, contract, kind of contract that you might have entered into if you bought a house. Although, uh, oftentimes, this are referred to as covenants today, interestingly enough. Uh, but a covenant in the scriptures is an agreement between God and man that's sealed in blood. And it goes something like this. God says to Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the Hebrew language even has a separate word for the kind of love that is only found in the context of a covenant, right? So there's a variety of words for love in Hebrew and in Greek. And in Hebrew, there's a special word that's used to describe what we call covenant love, right? Uh, and it goes something like this, right? In the covenant... God's love is, uh, one, one children's author said, is never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. It's the kind of love that loves someone even when they don't love the other person in return, right? It's the kind of love where, where that happens to be the case. You know, my parents, um, my parents had a in a number of seasons in marriage, and they had seasons of wealth and seasons of profound financial need. Uh, they had seasons of, of happiness and seasons characterized by deep sorrow. 
But one of the things I learned from them, thinking back uh, to my dad uh, here on our Father's Day, is I remember when my mom was dying, she was diagnosed with ALS, and uh, she, she died pretty quickly. And I remember going to visit her about one month before she passed, and just being really struck and taken back by the way in which my dad had now designed his life around her care. Right, so, so here's someone who, who I'd never seen do that in the past. In fact, the majority of their marriage was really the other way around. My mom was always waiting on him, always doing what he needed, always structuring her life uh, in order to care for him. And now the tables had turned, and she couldn't you know, get up without help. She needed the most basic help to eat, very, very uh, significant, strong need. And I remember my dad uh, looking at me one day, and he said, Darren, he said, caring for your mom right now is the greatest privilege of my entire life. Right? So caring for her in this state with her needs is the greatest privilege that I've ever had. You know, and he had started businesses. He had had all kinds of experiences. Uh, and I think that what was going on there, I think that what he was experiencing is he was getting a taste of covenant love. Right? Of uh, uh, the kind of love, you know, I, I like to say that when I meet with engaged couples, and I love meeting with engaged couples, by the way. Um, so if you're thinking about getting engaged, just know that, you know, if you do and you meet with me, that'll, I'll, I'll have a good time there. It's great because engaged couples are glowing with what I call the intoxication of uh, approval. You know, I approve of you. I'm in love with you. You're in love with me. It's, it's beautiful and wonderful and, you know, lots of smiles and giggles and all that. And that's great. And that is a wonderful blessing that I celebrate very much. Um, but at some point in time, that love, you know, that's really being fueled by being two-way and every, you know, in, in all kinds of uh, special ways, that love has to graduate to what the scriptures uh, might refer to as covenant love, right? Using this language uh, of the Hebrew word for covenant love. Right? In order to have a successful marriage, you need to get beyond right, the love that's based on I approve you, you approve me, like, which is a great thing, but you need to add to that the kind of love that says, I love you even when you don't love me back. Right? In the case of, you know, in some, in some marriages, in some situations, um, you know, there was very little that my mom could do for my dad in those last days, but he discovered uh, kind of love that I don't think he'd ever known before, uh, which is covenant love. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 articulates it this way. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Right? And this is how it might work uh, for the Christian, right, as we, just, as we look at this. You see, if you're going to walk with God in a season marked by profound difficulty, Right? If you're going to show courage against a circumstances that are far beyond your resources, right? if you're going to move forward where everyone else is saying, you're, you're insane that you would move forward, I can't believe that you would do that. Right? If you have to, to muster the courage to do things of that extent and nature, then you have to not simply know that God is good. Right? You, you, simply, you don't need simply like a bumper sticker or a hashtag you need a real experience of God's 
covenant-keeping love. Where God looks you right in the eyes and says, you know what? I love you. I'm for you. I'm working behind the scenes even when you are running from me. That's covenant love. Right? Jesus said it this way. He said, I tell you the truth. Um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then you will be sons of my father who is in heaven. Why? Because that's what he does. That's the kind of love that my father has. He doesn't simply love those who love him back. He loves even his own enemies because his love is covenant-keeping love. And what Israel would do here in the wilderness is they would undergo uh, the ceremony of the circumcision and the Passover is what we might call covenant renewal. Uh, We don't exactly know why uh, these boys weren't circumcised when they were born. Perhaps uh, their parents were simply disobeying the teaching, right? Teaching had been around for several hundred years at that point. Uh, Perhaps they were ignorant and, and their parents never told them the traditions. We don't really know. But there's a couple of remarkable things about it. The first is that, you know, Israel's now crossed into the promised land. And effectively, they're going to disable their entire military, for this period of healing, right? You know, uh, doesn't, I'm not going to elaborate on this any further, but if you don't have modern medicine, if you don't have modern uh, medication, if you're using flint knives, and don't try this at home, please, um, this would not, this would not be a, a good thing to try at home, but if you're going to circumcise an entire nation of men in one sitting, you are going to effectively disable them militarily. Right? It, in fact, um, there's an account here in, in Genesis where uh, you'll see one, one group attacks another group as they're healing from being circumcised. Right? It's, it's a well-known disabling issue. And so these folks come into the promised land, and the very first thing that they do before they're able to move forward in battle, they have to renew the covenant They have to take a step back and they say, you know what, our very identity, and by the way, circumcision was all about identity, right? It was all about being marked with a sign, right? Other languages is sealed, like when the king puts his seal of authenticity, right, on a letter, circumcision is described as a sign and a seal. And before they could move forward, before they could do any of those things, they had to renew the covenant they have with their God. Right, and we see that in circumcision, and then secondly, as they celebrate the Passover. And friends, I just want to give you a word pastorally uh, as we're looking at this together. You know, this is not something that's entirely unique to, uh, to the Old Testament and doesn't have any applicability to, the, to your life as a Christian, right? It's easy to read this than to say, you know, okay, Darren, like, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, you just told me not, you know, you just told me to put the knife away, <laughs> You know, should I get it back out? What do you, what's going on here? What, do, what, what, what could we possibly do with this, right? Um, well, this is what I would say to you. I think that in the life of a Christian, of any Christian, of any length of time, your relationship with your God will wax and wane, right? There are seasons marked by uh, incredible experiences, profound obedience, realness and worship. And then there are seasons marked by a complete lack of zeal, sometimes by sin, by the way. That'll also do it. 
right? Seasons of uh, what, what one author calls spiritual depression. And in the life of a Christian, it's actually normative that there are ends of those seasons whereby you take a step back, maybe you go on a retreat, right? Maybe you go on, you know, a time away to a walk. Maybe you just sit down with your scriptures uh, and the Lord in your closet and you say, God, I want to remember the covenant that you made with me. I want, to, I want to take a step back and renew these vows, so to speak, where you said to me, I am your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. It's, we call it a covenant renewal. And perhaps for some of you folks, perhaps you're in a season in your walk with God where uh, you've lacked zeal. Uh, you've lacked experience as with him. Um, and perhaps this is a time where you could take a step back. You could go uh, on a retreat of sorts and you could say, you know what? I want to actually undergo kind of covenant renewal with God. Where I take a step back and look, how have I been building my life? Where have I been investing my time? What kind of sins have I let creep in? Do I really believe these words? Do I experience God's power? Perhaps you might have a renewal in prayer, right? Um, whatever it might be for you, perhaps this is a time in your life that you might be in need of a kind of covenant renewal with God, whereby he renews his commitment to you and you regain your identity as his child. And you say, look, I've been living as an orphan, but now I want to I want to live as your child again. I want, to, I want to come back from just this cloud that's been in my mind, right? It's called covenant renewal. So you have to under, understand seasons. I mean, seasons do come to an end. God works in them for your good. You have to understand covenant, that God's a covenant-keeping God, that he loves you with a kind of covenant love, right, that's not based on your performance, uh, that your identity is there as his child, right, as the child of a God. And then lastly, you need to understand presence. And this is, I think, really the, the crescendo of the passage. So Joshua finds himself, right, he's just, sort, you know, just un, oversaw this mass circumcision. I mean, I, I don't even want to know what that was like, um, imagining the kinds of sounds that were going out from that place, uh, the kinds of things going on there. Uh, but they undergo this mass circumcision. They then uh, celebrate Passover together. They then have their first real incredible meal of the fruit of Canaan, which what a celebration that must have been. And then Joshua finds himself, right, looking at the city of Jericho. And friends, it is absolutely essential that you enter into Joshua's head in order to appreciate this. Right? I want you to just enter in to this young, new leader's head, right? As, as they've just been celebrating, and he goes off, he's by himself, right? He's looking at this town, this absolutely terrifying town, completely fortified, strong military, and he's looking at his recovering group of soldiers. What was going through his mind as he surveyed those walls, right? What was going through his mind? I mean, I was thinking back to when uh, we were just beginning this church and, you know, we, as we were starting and we had such, so little, 
I remember, actually, it's hard to remember, to be honest. I look back and think, Darren, like, what was wrong with you? Like, how, how in the world did, like, how in the world did this even happen? How in the world did, did, did anyone approve this plan? And then more than that, how in the world did it actually come about? Right? I think about perhaps trying to do something like this again, and I've I mean, it's, I feel like Joshua looking up at this wall thinking like, my goodness, how in the world could you summon courage to move forward in this way? You know, and as we've already said, right, I think Joshua understood that there are seasons. The season of the wilderness had come to an end. It was time for a new season, that God was at work then, that God will be at work now. I think he understood covenant. As they renewed this covenant, they regained the identity that said, you know, we are God's people, we are his people. He is our God, right? But I think that so much flesh was put on, I think, the strongest source of courage for Joshua and for you, the strongest source of courage that I think any of us can find as Joshua surveying these walls of Jericho, kind of collecting his thoughts, preparing himself for the days that are about to come as they're going to march uh, around Jericho, as he beholds one terrifying person. Right, he comes across a man with his sword drawn. And Joshua, of course, uh, is getting ready to see, you know, what's, what needs to happen? Do we need to do battle? Is he going to attack me? Do I need to assume a defensive case? Is this the war starting early? Has Jericho sent folks in advance? And this man's got his sword there, uh, and Joshua says to him, you know, are you for us or for our adversaries? Whose side are you taking? Because that's going to dictate what I do next, right? And Joshua, perhaps he's collecting his thoughts, looking at Jericho, thinking, you know, what do we do? And then all of a sudden, there's this terrifying man present before him, and I think perhaps he's thinking like, wow, this is starting ahead of schedule, this is about, you know, it's about to get real here today and this evening. The man says to him, uh, in answer to his question, who, who are you for? Which side are you on? He says this, verse 14, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And friends, I can't tell you how profoundly helpful uh, this, this reality has been to me. Uh, as I have drunk of this passage. The key to understanding how it is that you can move forward in times, in circumstances that are so at ridiculously beyond your abilities, right? The key to doing that is you're looking at undergoing an enterprise that's far beyond your resources that will require so much more than you have or ever will have the absolute key to that is to understanding that there are unseen forces at work and those unseen forces, actually they themselves shoulder the vast majority of the responsibility as to what is going on. I mean, imagine yourself. You're Joshua. You're looking at a bunch of guys crying, you know, blood all over the place. Some of them probably I, I would imagine resisted. Do I really have to get circumcised? I mean, come on, you know, like, is, I, you know, I think this whole like covenant thing is overblown and, you know, do we really need to do that? Uh, some, you know, he's, he's navigating all of this kind of thing, 
right? And he's looking at these men. He's looking at Jericho with all of their fortifications. I mean, what kind of people build massive walls around a city? Answer the ones who take their own defense seriously, right? These were not defenseless people. These were frightening people. And as Joshua's looking out at his military, he's looking at these people and he's saying like, God, how in the world is this going to happen? God answers him. God says, I'm going to open your eyes. I'm going to allow you to peek into what is actually reality. And the reality is, I am shouldering the vast load of responsibility for the battle that I am calling you to lead these people into. Do you see that? Joshua is leading these people with profound courage, and the ultimate source of that courage is to understand and to believe and to stake your reputation on the reality that there are unseen forces whose presence will decide the outcome. Uh, Paul, I think the apostle, understood this so well in the book of Ephesians as he said, look, we wrestle our battle is not primarily, we might add, against flesh and blood, right? That the people you see, the resources you have, those are all good and you should pay a lot of attention to them and you should invest in them and, you know, you should equip them and you should train them and you should do all the kinds of things in your responsibility. But ultimately, the wrestling, right? The wrestling that we are engaged with is not ultimately about those people, but we wrestle against rulers and powers and principalities, forces of wickedness in this present darkness. Right? The battle that Joshua was to undergo against the city of Jericho that we'll be looking at next time I'm preaching, that battle and your battle Right? Particularly, I want to just, those of you in the season that's difficult, some of you are in a great season, you can come back to the sermon in a little bit. You know, when you're in a different season, you can come back and you can remember these things and you can drink deeply of them in preparation for, you will have a difficult season, by the way. Right? But those of you right now in a difficult season, those of you who don't know how you're going to get through, how you're going to move forward, where you're going to find courage, those of you wondering how in the world these things happen, you need to understand and to stake your life, your reputation, your family, your resources on the conviction that there are unseen forces at work whose very presence will decide the outcome. That's what we see here. And Joshua, as he realizes what's going on, Right? He realizes that he's in, he's in the presence of holiness. Uh, the angel says to him, the, feet, the feet, place in which you're standing is holy, therefore take off your sandals. And this, of course, is reminiscent to Moses uh, being outside this burning bush. God says the same thing to him, right? Take off your sandals for the feet in which you're, the place in which you're standing is holy. Uh, one of my uh, mentors, um, counselor, Ed Welch, was a seminary professor of mine, and I remember him saying, look, you know, when you counsel people, we have all these tools that we use for counseling, and, you know, they're, they're great, and we appreciate them. He said, but ultimately, none of them are decisive. 
He's like, you say the same things over and over and over again, and you pray a lot. And he said, at some point in time, you will see a light bulb go on inside of the person you're counseling where they will just change. And he said, when that happens, I'll never forget this. He said, when that happens, take your shoes off because the feet, the, the place on which you're standing is holy. And so friends, what I want to do is I want to invite you to have an experience with the unseen. I want to invite you to consider, God, how are you present in my life, in my situation, in ways that I've been completely unaware of? And I think that uh, as you do that, as you look for and through faith see the presence of the holy, I hope that it leads you to this kind of worship. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ surprised the Apostle Paul uh, as he was on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to execute his enemies. And Jesus said, look, the place in which, basically, you're in the presence of the holy. But this time, right, this time, I'm here to save you. Oftentimes, folks in the presence of the holy would be consumed themselves. But Jesus says, look, I'm here to save you. Because in the story of Jesus, Jesus, the Holy One himself, was consumed on account for his people. And so, friends, what I want to invite you to do is to enter into a season of covenant renewal with your God. Enter, enter into a season where uh, you are renewed in your faith so that you can see the presence of the holy and that in seeing that you might find courage. Let me pray for you. Father God, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we adore you. Uh, and I pray, Lord God, that you would give uh, me, that you would give our church profound courage as we see you. I pray that we would see you uh, afresh and anew this season in Jesus' name. Amen.